Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. God promises us something amazing. He promises that if we commit ourselves to Him and follow His guidance in life, that that life that we live will be blessed. He blesses grateful hearts. And he wants to encourage us to do the right thing, and that's why he attaches an incentive like this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. God says, if you fully obey, excuse me, Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God, and if you're careful to follow all of his commands, all of these blessings will be yours. I know about this time, kind of like Brian was talking about with being a felon, most of us kind of check out because we've realized that we've not fully obeyed God and we haven't kept all of his commandments. But listen to the principle. He says, God, the Lord will bless you in the city and the country. Just means no matter where you are. He'll bless your children as well as blessing your crops and your livestock. Everything that means anything to you. The Lord will bless your harvest and the food that you prepare. He'll bless you wherever you go. And the Lord will defeat your enemies when they attack you. Yes, the Lord will send his blessing on all that you put your hand to and bless everything you do. And see, it just kind of comes up to this, that God blesses grateful hearts. That's really all that it amounts to. And it's pretty hard to miss the connection between a life of allegiance to God and the blessing on that life that he announces. God essentially says, I'm going to bless every aspect of your life. The people in your life, what you have right now, what's about to come into your life. My hand is going to be over all of that. Now, we think, we look at that, we hear that, and we think, well, I don't know. You know, I may or may not have a six-figure salary or seven-figure salary just so I can go to the gas pump. You know, it may take that anymore, it seems like. And you look around, it seems like there's always plenty of other people that have plenty more than, than we do. But yet, it's still hard to miss the connection that God says is there. If you're grateful, I'll bless you. But it only makes sense, doesn't it, that God would expect our gratitude because from his perspective, gratitude is more than just saying thank you. It becomes your default attitude and approach to how you live your life. I mean, you know what it was like at Christmas time or at birthdays, you know, when, when somebody gives the kid a, a present, you know, or does something nice for somebody, and you have to train them to say thank you. And so what do you do as a parent? You urge them, you know, what do you say, right? And they know what's coming, you know, and you know as well, because eventually, you know, you, a little nudge, a little knee in the back, you know, what do you say? And it, eventually it'll come out, you know, thank you. Well, did they say the words? Yes. But was it really something that came from within them? And that's the difference that God wants from us. Not just the nudge of, thank you, God, but more 
consuming in our life and how we live our life. There's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Give you a chance to read that, familiarize yourself with it. There's no big words there. Circumstances is the biggest word there. I'd like for you to read that with me out loud. Always be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Now, you did pretty good. Let's do it one more time now. The pressure's off. Now you can just really let that sink in and, and, and reflect on that as you say it. Always be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Covers about everything, doesn't it? Not too many loopholes left. Although in your mind, you pro- I guarantee you're probably already thinking about circumstances that you've not necessarily been real thankful for. But it does put Deuteronomy 28 in perspective, doesn't it? That the Lord will bless everything you do. Not every circumstance that we encounter in this life is going to be great. Not everything that happens in your life is going to be something that's automatically going to make a smile burst out of your face and it's like, wow, thank you, God. Not all the people that God puts in your life are going to make that. I mean, the best you can come up with at some point is, bless your heart. But, you know, that's about it. And yet, we're grateful in all circumstances Because God is greater than any circumstance we encounter. God's greater than the layoff. God's greater than the end of the month that doesn't have enough money to cover it. God's greater than my past when I'm convinced like Brian talked about, I wouldn't be welcome there. You don't know who I am or what I've done. God's greater, and that's why he says, trust me. I will bless every part of your life. Even the parts that aren't great. Notice at the end of the verse, he says, for this is God's will for your life. Now, can I offer just a bit of clarification there? Because this is what twists a lot of people sideways, especially when those circumstances aren't so great and we're not so grateful. How could that be God's will for my life, that somebody that meant everything to me is gone? This is God's will for your life. God's will is not the circumstance that's squeezing your heart and squeezing the tears out of your eyes. Because if it's awful and you think that this is God's will for my life, that I have to have this awful thing in my life, what's that make you think about God? I don't want anything to do with him. But God's will is that we're grateful no matter what the circumstance is that we're facing because we realize that he's greater than the moment, whatever that is. He's able, because he's greater than the moment, because he's greater than the circumstance, he's able to create a blessing out of anything. And sometimes out of nothing. 
So whatever the circumstance is that we're facing in the moment that we think is not that great, when our life is rooted in Christ, he becomes the stabilizing factor in that life. And that's why we can be thankful no matter what the circumstances are. And that's the will of God. Not the circumstance, but the gratitude. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Plant your roots in Christ, and let him be the foundation for your life. He's able to create a blessing, whatever the circumstances are that we're facing. And when you leave today, I want you to take a look over at the, at the new grass on the hill by the, the, why do we call it a metro park? We're not a metropolitan area, but, you know, out of the new park that we're going to have up here. Before you get to the underpass of the highway, look up the grass on the hill, and they'll be part of it. It's really bright green. It's new grass. But I want you to look at it because when you do, what you'll probably see is that that new grass doesn't cover everywhere. There's going to be streaks running down through it, just like, just like some giant tiger, you know, just clawed right down through the middle of it. You know why? Because before the grass had a chance to get rooted, rain came, and it washed down that hillside. Put your roots in Christ. Before the rains come. Let your faith in him take root. And that will be the foundation of your life. When you let your faith in Christ take root, guess what? That gives you strength so that when the rains do come, it doesn't wash away. So look at that hillside on your way out today when you leave. And just remind yourself to be rooted in Christ. So that no matter what happens... You'll stand firm. After spending Thanksgiving with family, do you sometimes wonder if you were adopted? <laughs> do, do, are you sometimes grateful that you were adopted? I mean, sometimes our genetics are hard to deny. Yeah, I was driving the other day, I looked up in the rearview mirror, and there my dad was staring back at me. I thought, when did that happen? I've got a grandson that's got his own kids now. And everybody tells him, you know, he, he drives UPS truck. And he went out and made this one delivery, you know, and knocked on the, I guess he needed a signature for it. The person opened the door, looked at him, and, and, and said, do you know Ed Beeson? He's <laughs> my grandson. He says, yeah, I know him, you because know, he knew what was coming. Well, guess what? When you're in your 20s, you don't want to hear that somebody who's not in their 20s any longer is who you look like. <laughs> Genetics are hard to deny. But it's not hard to realize that despite our similarities, we also have our differences. We have different ways of expressing ourselves. For example, maybe like yours, my family was not huggers. They're just not. On the other hand, when we'd go to see Claudia's family, they were huggers. They were backslappers. 
I remember one Christmas in particular when our kids were about this tall. You know, they, we pulled up, we started to get out of the car, and, and our son said, looks at me and says, it's going to hurt again, isn't it? <laughs> now, they weren't mean. They were just glad to see their grandkids. And so they'd hold the door open with one hand, stick their foot and their hip over, and every person that come in, you know, would be the big old slap on the back. You know, it's just a clap, clap, clap. And it's like, happy Thanksgiving. And they were lovely people, and they loved loving people. My family wasn't like that. The closest we got to that, I've told this story before, was when dad died as we're gathered around the, the bed there in the hospital and it's time to leave. Mom walks out and pats his ankle three times and says, it's been a good life and walked on out the door. <laughs> we're different. And Claudia has already made it abundantly clear to me that I better show a little more emotion when the time comes if I go or if she goes before I do. We all express ourselves differently, especially when it comes to gratitude. Gary Chapman did some research on personalities and he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. It's kind of an intriguing thing and he identifies, you know, things that motivate different people, things that... that uh, show the differences in how we express ourselves to each other. Like, for example, some, <clears throat> some of us have lots of words that we have to get out every day. And it's a 45-minute conversation on the phone every time they call. My sister will be nameless. I mean... Others of us, we are content to ride in the car for an hour and maybe say three words. We're just grateful for the peace and the solitude. Doesn't mean we're mad. Doesn't mean anything's wrong. We're just happy that we can be in neutral and it's okay. Others think the way that they express themselves and express love is by spending time or quality time with each other. Others, you know, their, their love language, this would be my granddaughter, her, her love language is in gifts, not just receiving, but she loves to give gifts. That's how she expresses her love. And honestly, that's how she recognizes when people value and love her, is when they give her gifts. Others, you know, most of us guys, we tend to fall in line with the old guy that said to his wife, I told you I loved you when I married you. And if I change my mind, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> now, that's not original. I'm sure it's a preacher story, not the truth. But you get that sentiment. A lot of guys just don't have a lot of words. They're just not going to say, I love you. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to go to work every day to a job that they probably hate, that they don't feel like doing anymore, but they're still going to get up and they're still going to go and they're going to be grateful they've got a job to go to because that job's allowing them to pay the bills for the most part and keep a roof over their head and keep food on the table and keep clothes on their kids' back. And they'll do that their whole life, just like my father-in-law who came home from World War II and went to work at Hobart Brothers in Troy and worked in the basement of that building until the day he retired. Every single day, 
he went to that shop. That's how he expressed his love. And then others, others like his wife, would just slap the snot out of you when you come in the door, you know. He's just so grateful. He's just, Give me a hug, you know, and he'd put you in that, as Chris Recchio calls it, that Christmas headlock, you know, that, that just holds on tight. And, and when they do that, they're just expressing love. Whether or not that's how you do it doesn't really matter. The premise is recognizing that other people have a different way of expressing their love can improve your relationship with them. Now, what also helps is when you learn your own love language. It helps you understand what makes you fulfilled in that relationship. What makes your husband or wife feel loved might be different than what makes you feel loved. Touch versus time. Words versus service. Here's an interesting thought, though. Have you ever realized that God has a love language as well? How does God recognize our love for him? How does God recognize grateful hearts? Well, here are some of the different ways that he tells us in Scripture to speak his language so that... so that he recognizes our gratitude and our devotion and love for him. For example, the first one I'd like for you to consider is this. God recognizes grateful hearts because grateful hearts sing. Did you know the Bible talks about God singing? And this may be a surprise to you, but God actually sings about us. And it's not the blues. I'm sure Kirk could come up with a blues song of God over his, you know, ungrateful servant, you know, like that. But for example, in a passage in the Old Testament, Zephaniah, in chapter 3, verse 17, is this passage. The Lord your God is with you. He's your mighty Savior. And he takes great delight. Don't miss this. He, God, your God, takes great delight in calming your fears with his love. And he rejoices over you with singing about you. When God sings your song, it's not going to be the blues. It'll be a celebration song of pure and perfect joy. Have you ever listened to a mother calm her baby? She'll hold it tight. She'll wrap it up. She'll hold it up to its net and, 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 begin, to, and begin to whisper. And begin to sing something soothing, quieting the heart of whatever it is that's distressing that child. Is it that hard to believe that God would tenderly sing over us as well to soothe our fears and to comfort our hurts when all we can do is cry ouch to him? So it really should come as no surprise that the spirit of that same God living in you, would also express itself in song of gratitude. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he encourages us to sing psalms and hymns and sacred songs or spiritual songs, as some translations would read, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Now, I know some of you are going to respond, and maybe rightfully so. Well, I, I don't sing. If I started singing, everybody would get up and leave. And you wouldn't want that, preacher. Or, 
Well, I don't know the tune or I don't know the words. Listen, God loves to hear your voice. It's the one that he gave to you. And he loves to hear your voice sing to him. Especially songs of gratitude, thanksgiving, wonder, and praise. Now if you're, alright, this word's going to get a little tough, but I won't, I won't pound on it. I'll just point it out. If you're worried about, or embarrassed about your singing... I'm going to be honest with you. You got a pride problem. You don't have a singing problem. You've got an ego problem. I'm just going to let that sit there for, for a while. And granted, you may never get a recording contract. And if that's true, Hopefully, somebody will prevent you from going on The Voice or American Idol and speak truth into your life. You know, honey, just sing in church. You know, don't go on TV. Just sing to God. But why let that stop you from being grateful to God? See, the first indication of gratitude that God looks for is what comes out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth is what's coming out of your heart. And if there's nothing coming out of your mouth... It's because there's nothing coming out of your heart to God. Is that really where you want to be? Just speaking a little truth into your life here. You see, God recognizes grateful hearts sing, but he also recognizes that grateful hearts are generous. Can we go back to talking about singing instead of talking about generosity? You see, Psalm 40, or excuse me, Psalm 54 in verse 6, the Good News translation phrases it this way, I will gladly offer you a sacrifice, O Lord. I'll, I'll give you thanks because you are good. Long before the Pilgrim story of Thanksgiving or George Washington's proclamation about Thanksgiving, God told the nation of his people, Israel, to establish a Thanksgiving festival every year. It would be called the Feast of Weeks, not because it lasted for weeks, but it would be called the Feast of Weeks where they celebrated in, gra in gratitude to God for their wheat harvest that would give them food for the rest of the year. In Deuteronomy 16, verses 10 and 11, he'd say this, celebrate the harvest festival, that festival of weeks, Celebrate the harvest festival to honor the Lord your God by bringing him a freewill offering in proportion to the blessing that he's given you. Do this at your place of worship. Another indication of their generosity is found in the way that they were told to harvest their fields. In Leviticus chapter 23, they were required to leave the corners of their field growing. In other words, don't, don't pull that combine up to the very corner and then back it up and turn around at a 90-degree angle and go on like that. He says, no, just round it off. Let it go. And the reason why we do that is because that would provide food for people that didn't have anything. That would provide for strangers who were just passing through. 
You see, when we give an offering to God, it represents a 3D gratitude for his blessings. His blessings in the past, his blessings today in the present, and a confident blessing of what he's going to do in the future. So what kind of offering are we to bring that shows that gratitude to God? The Bible describes this gratitude as giving God the first fruits of our income. I don't have a whole lot of fruit trees in my yard. I live in Mill Valley. Nothing grows. It just scraped all that good dirt off and what's left, maybe some grass, thanks to Scott's. But I do have some rose bushes. And every year, the first rose gets clipped and brought inside. And put in a vase. Because it's the first. Of a promise of more. And a reminder. Of the promise that I made to love Claudia. You see the Bible describes. First fruits. Not as what's left over. But what comes first. And so when he looks at our generosity, as crazy as it sounds, God's not saying, hey, pay your bills first, and whatever's left over, if there's anything left over, I'll take that. As crazy as it sounds, God wants us to put him first, like that first rose of summer, like the first fruits that come in. What we're talking about is an old English word called tithing. It just means 10%. And what it means then is to set aside the first 10% of our income out of gratitude to God, as well as trust in him for what he will do. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, that describes it this way. The purpose of tithing, setting aside that first 10%, that first rose of finances... The purpose is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Now, I got to admit, you got to grow into that. If you didn't grow up with that, you got to grow into it. And that means growing out of debt, typically, first. But isn't that something that if we're going to grow in our willingness to express generosity to God, shouldn't we also grow in that as well? Well, yeah, but you don't know. I, you know, retirement's coming, and I don't have near enough. I got to put everything back. In re- I know. How do you think you got to this point in your life? God provided for you. Don't you think maybe now you should continue, maybe more than ever, to show Him how much He means to you and putting Him first, especially in your finances? Oh, that's a big step of faith. Ten percent. Come on. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. Where a man's treasure is, there's his heart also. That's why when he sees our generosity, he sees gratitude. When he sees our generosity, what he sees is trust. God doesn't need your money. But our generosity will get his attention every time. Remember another point in Jesus' life 
when he's sitting there watching people as they're coming into the temple and they're putting their offering into the box? Remember which one stood out to him? The widow who put in one coin. That's what got his attention. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 is a good example of God's approval and encouragement of generosity. He says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your harvest. He'll fill your barns with grain and your barrels will overflow with wine. Why would God have so much to say about generosity? Again, it's not because God needs our money. But God does want our heart. If he has our heart, then we will become more like him. And as we become more like him, well, you, you would even be able to finish this passage in John 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved, he gave. When you love like God, you give. And when you love others, you give whatever it takes. Because you can't give without loving, or excuse me, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. We give to our taxes. I guarantee you, we don't give out of love when it comes to taxes. But you can't love without giving whatever's needed. See, God recognizes grateful hearts because grateful hearts sing and grateful hearts are generous. But the third thing I want to share with you today is that God recognizes grateful hearts because they take time in communion to be with him. Taking the Lord's Supper together should be done as an act of gratitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, a verse you've heard a few times already today, but that's just God knowing we need to hear this a lot, okay? On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is for you. See, he loves, so he gives. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is like a new covenant, a new contract, a new promise that I make. And I'm going to sign it in blood. And whenever you drink it, do that in remembrance of me. You see, taking time each week for communion helps us to remember to be grateful for what God has done. Remember how he suffered to pay the price that was the ransom for our soul. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That'll scare the snot out of you. That's probably in the Greek somewhere, scaring the snot out of you. But it makes us uncomfortable. What if I do it wrong? You know, what if I, what if I take the juice first and then the bread instead of the bread? Then does it really matter? What, it, d, d, we get all worried about that. What if it's white grape juice? Not that. See, there's all kinds of things we can worry about, and we forget the main part of it. Taking communion without being grateful for what Jesus has sacrificed for us is what, is what he's really looking at. Our time of communion is to be the model of thanksgiving 
That's why in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And, it's not, and, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? There's only one appropriate response when we remember that cross. And that's gratitude. That's why he says in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, We were spiritually dead because of our sin and our sinful nature. But God gave us new life together with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. We owed a debt for all the rules that we failed to follow, but God forgave that debt. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. God recognizes grateful hearts that sing thank you to him, that are generous, that remember his sacrifice and honor his sacrifice in communion. And the last thing is, is just this. God recognizes our grateful heart when we tell others about what he's done for us. Isaiah 12 verse 4 says, thank the Lord, praise his name, and tell the world what he's done. <laughs> tell others about him. When we ask others about their relationship with God, he hears how grateful we are for our relationship with him. When we share what God's done in our life and how he's given our life meaning and purpose, instead of just going to work at Hobart's for the, every day for the rest of our life, God hears gratitude. When we share a book or a link to a song or a verse that we read that just jumped off the page like it's never been in the Bible before that day, God recognizes how grateful we are to share that with others. And when we invite somebody to join us in worship or to come sit beside us, what he hears is our gratitude. They all go together. He hears our gratitude when it fills our hearts and we sing praises for him and for what he's done. He sees our gratitude when the priority of our hearts shows itself through generosity toward others. And when we engage in conversation about what he's done and what he promises to do and the security and stability of being rooted in Christ does for us, it's all worthwhile for him. And he would do that all over again. So who have you talked to? about how God has blessed your life since you've chosen to follow the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, he says, the grace that's reaching more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. As more people experience the grace of God, it causes more thanksgiving to overflow to his glory. And anytime you invite somebody to come with you to church, it creates more gratitude to God because he recognizes how grateful you are that you want to share that with somebody else. God blesses grateful hearts. Gloria, I want you in the praise team. Join me up on stage and we'll close out with this. I didn't pass them out beforehand. However, they are at that door beside Mike and this door behind Shelly. There are little pieces of paper that look like this. This time when you gather together for Thanksgiving, whether it's a gathering of you or whether it's a gathering of 20 or more. Feels like maybe we ought to do something more than just, okay, who's going to say the prayer? 
On this particular sheet, there are several different passages that might spark some ideas about a conversation to have, things to be thankful for, how God made you for another year of life, how he saved you from yourself, and how good he's been to you when you didn't deserve it. How he answers your prayers in ways that you never even saw coming. And the guidance that he gives you in unexpected ways. His mercy and his unfailing love. All of those things with the scripture reference are on here. Be sure to pick one up on your way out. Take some time to share about that. We're getting ready to start a Christmas season together. I know Thanksgiving hadn't come yet, but... It'll be here in the next few days. More people are likely to come to Christmas than any other time during the year. Will you start asking God to show you somebody who's ready to hear his story for the first time? Like it's never been told before? You see, in our Christmas series, we'll revisit the traditional Advent messages of hope and love and joy and peace. God knows the people in your life that are ready to hear how Jesus brings those into your life. And the Spirit of God also knows your heart and has been at work in your life, in your heart. His Spirit's the reason you feel convicted about what you've been doing, how you've been living, and the need to get right with Him because of the judgment that's coming. His Spirit at work within you is why you feel compelled to be in church today with other believers. If you'd like to make MCC your church family, come on in. We welcome anyone who believes in God and Jesus as his son, who came to reveal the way, the truth, and the life of God, who recognizes his word as the guiding authority over their life, who's willing to commit themselves to following the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus, who's made a public statement of that by being baptized into Christ, made one with him, forgiven of their sins, filled with his spirit to enable you to continue to grow in your godliness and Christ-likeness from that day forward. There's no greater blessing than to help somebody in their walk with Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.